Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have friends Pat McCarty and Bob Dykeman of Shadow Valley Outfitters out of Central Arizona. Guys, how you doing? We're good, Jay. How are you? Oh, pretty good, Bob. And you, Pat? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, can't wait for this next year to come around. That's awesome. You guys are coming off a good 2018. Uh, why don't uh, one of you... Uh, or both of you can chime in. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your guide service. I've had both of you on the podcast before. Um, maybe a, you know a little bit about your guide service, a little bit about you guys, and then we'll dive into these Arizona elk and antelope uh, regulations that have just come out. Yeah, no, it sounds good. We uh, so we own and operate um, Shadow Valley Outfitters here. Um, both born and raised in Prescott, Arizona, and been, you know, hunting most of our lives and, and guiding, you know, for the last, you know, quite a few years. And, um, you know, Shadow Valley, we're just trying to kind of keep it small and specialized um, and keep it, you know, with a bunch of really good guides. Um, we don't take, you know, more clients than, than what we have good guides for, um, something that we really pride ourselves on and, and keeping you know good employees and that makes a uh, happy clients yeah bob um to speak to that i mean um you know getting in the guiding and outfitting business i've been doing it now 20 years um don't you think it's it's easy and it's human nature to want to grow your business big and want to have you know a big outfit and a big name and 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 you know have uh, successful clients, but don't you feel like at a certain point when a operation gets too big, uh, there becomes a lot of moving parts, and is that one reason why you guys kind of like to keep it small and what you call specialized? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, with Arizona, it's it's just so easy to get a guide license, you know. Um, everybody can do it, and there's a, you know, definitely a, a surplus of guides out there, and you know, in my opinion, probably very a, a very small percentage of them, you know, are, are worth paying money for. Um, you know, and that's it's easy to find guides to to do hunts for you, but it's not easy to find good guides, and that's kind of one thing that you know we're keeping it you know small, just because you know we can trust every single one of our guides to put on a great hunt for clients and and work their tails off and and have a lot of fun in the process. So that's. You know, in a saturated market, I think, it, like you said, it's it's very easy to get guides to work for you, but they're not going to be good ones, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I know when I originally got my guide's license, to be real honest with you, I got it because I wanted to be able to be in the field more. I wanted to be able to hunt more. And I think there's probably a lot of people out there that have gotten their guide's license in Arizona that are in that same boat. And then as life goes on and as, you know, each person's trying to grow their own business, I think they just have to ask themselves the question of what are they doing it for, uh, why are they doing it, and um, I think everybody has a different answer. Um, but, you know, it's interesting what I've seen over the last 20 years with guide services, especially in Arizona, because we're dealing with a, a state that is uh, subject to draw. It's not a state where you can... Uh, not many hunts where you can just, um, you know, have landowner tags or have guaranteed hunts, so to speak. I mean, maybe with the over-the-counter deer and some of that stuff, and we'll talk about that. But, um, you know, other states like Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, where you could have a clientele that's going to come back 
every single year, and you can kind of build a business on that. Arizona is a bit of a challenge because we have phenomenal hunting, but it's really hard to build a quote-unquote business where if that's all you were doing, uh, just because of the draw system, curious if you guys have any thoughts on, on you know, trying to build a what nor, what people would think would be a normal business on the draw system. It's just a challenge. Uh, I would 100% agree that building a business, going in for it, try, just strictly trying to make money and support a family, and then not only that, but support the guides that you have out there that have families and whatnot, it's it's extremely taxing and it's stressful to do that yeah. in Arizona. And I feel like if you're going in to the state of Arizona and you want to be a guide, you want to be an outfitter. If if that's why you're doing it because you want to just hunt for a living, you're you're going to have a rough time because it's not easy to do that and it's going to be a lot of stress and it's really going to take away from what is the enjoyable part of actually being in the field. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I believe you guys, uh, you may you may be ramping up for this, but I believe you guys do some over-the-counter um, deer hunts. Do you not coming up in the month of January, or did you already do those in December? So, not we're going to Bob's going to Mexico this year. Okay, um, good choice, good choice, Bob. Yeah, no, I go down every year. Um, go down yeah. and hunt mule deer down there for three weeks or so. Um, okay. Yeah, I leave here just kind of today's been just getting stuff ready for that and getting a nice okay. spotless truck, you know, so you can get it back into the States. Um, yeah, no, I'll leave on the first and, and be down there for three weeks and kind, kind of try and chase those mule deer, that mule deer rut south as far as I can go, you know. Sounds good. Um, go ahead. Yeah, and then just to follow up, we, we've been hunting a, a good buck uh, in, through December um, and then January – for me personally, January is kind of the time that I get to hunt for myself um, as far as the OTC or going to Mexico and hunting coos deer for myself. Um, but going Good. into 2019, we're definitely going to be uh, trying to get some archery over-the-counter hunters to, to come out and chase some of these bucks we have. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, Bob, a, a quick question, and then we'll dive into the Arizona stuff. Um, from what I'm hearing, the mule deer are you know, starting to really nose around does. Um, in your experience, you've been going down there a long time. In your experience for mule deer down there in Sonora, um, what would you say is the best, say, 7- to 10-day window of the best rutting activity for mule deer down there? You know, I'd say it's, it's probably starting around the 10th would be my guess, 8th, 10th, kind of somewhere in there. Um, you know, last year we killed, I don't, I don't remember the exact date, but we killed that real big buck last year on... I think the, I want to say the fourth or fifth um, was our second day of hunting, and and that buck was on does and and does and does around pretty good. So it, you know maybe even you know the best ten days is, you know maybe call it the fifth through the fifteenth. You know maybe a, okay. a pretty good get. We kind of hunt a little further north, um, Caborca, um, Caborca area. It might be a little bit later than that. You know some of those ranches down there by Hermosillo, but. Um, I would say, yeah, 5th through the 15th, maybe, you know, even into the 20th or something. But It's, it's always a great time to get down there and um, certainly love seeing the success you guys have down there. Uh, guys, the Arizona elk and antelope regulations have just come out. 
within the last few days. We're sitting here, I believe today's the 30th um, of December, and so we're about to kick off the new year. And the draw uh, is uh, whatever that second Tuesday in February is. I don't have the date right in front of me. I should. Um, let me see. Actually, uh, anyway. The what, what day is it? Uh, I've got it right here. I believe it's the 15th. Okay, 15th. Uh, it's always that second Tuesday in, in um, um, February. The 12th. Sorry, the 12th. Uh, those, that online date, I believe, is, is that day. And so this is the time of year when everybody starts, um, you know, kicking around what they're going to do next year for elk. Before we dive into the units and the units you guys like to hunt and kind of um, compare and contrast and debate some of these um, units, uh, where are we at right now uh, in, in a couple of categories? Where are we at with how did last year go? What kind of holdover do you see? What kind of moisture did we have this last year? And, you know, how is it affecting what we, what, what are the facts that we know now as we're starting to look at applying for this upcoming season? Um, if you guys would take a little bit of time to talk about the facts as we know them right now with the current uh, or the, the past and current conditions? Well, I think as far as 2018 goes, I think it ended up being the elk hunts went pretty close to what people thought. Um, having as dry a year as we did, the, I believe that the, the health of the cows was definitely affected. The rut was pushed back. There was areas where there, there was good rut activity, um, but more often than not, it was pretty spotty across the state. Um, you know, the eastern side of the state definitely gets more moisture, so there was some, some better rut activity over there. Um, but the 8, 9, 10, uh, 19Bs, the block units, I definitely think had overall spotty rut activity. Uh, it started to pick up a little bit later, but then we started seeing a whole lot of broken bulls. Um, as far as the hunts for us, we actually recommended that several clients turn their tag in. Uh, with the point guard, which is worth its weight in gold if anybody is applying and they have any, you know, significant amount of points at all, definitely get your point guard because you just never know what's going to happen. Um, and then going into the hunt, we did see a lot of broken bulls. We saw bulls that didn't finish out on tops. They had a good front end but just never really finished out and then mixed that with rather hot and then maybe not so good a health with the cows. I, I think it was what people expected for that dry of a year. Um, and then going into late hunts, basically the same thing. You know, you're looking for bulls that are intact, not broke. Uh, you're not expecting to see great big tops on anything. And that's, that's pretty consistent with what we saw. Now, we did get moisture uh, going through, you know, starting in the fall and filling up all the dirt tanks and the drinkers uh, to carry the, the elk through the rest of the winter. There's a lot of moisture out there right now. Well, maybe not moisture, but a lot of water in standing tanks and whatnot. So that's definitely going to help going into 2019. Uh, just recently, we've had several storms that have come through. Hasn't been real great through central Arizona, um, but definitely the east side of the state is getting some more moisture and some, some better snowfall, which is really going to help for next year. So moving forward, um, Pat and um, Bob, you can chime in, you know, with, 
with bulls that got broke up pretty good, with bulls that were droughted out, do you feel like there were bulls that didn't get harvested that potentially, uh, you know, if, if from the time of application in, in the second week of February, you know, spring, spring uh, moisture, snows, rains, et cetera, um, do you feel like there's bulls that, you know, maybe got passed last year that could um, leapfrog and actually be, you know, say 320 bulls that were droughted out that could be, you know, 350, 360 bulls? And, and you know, some of those 340 bulls that might have got a pass, could they be, you know, 360, 370 bulls? Yeah, no, I think I think me and you touched on this when we uh, chatted about this strip a little bit where you get you get some of these bulls that, get passes because of a drought year you know they're droughted out they're not what you know people want to fill a tag on this year um they get an extra year of age on them and and could you know with a little bit of the right moisture and, and spring and stuff could could absolutely blow up um you know we've seen it before on elk we've seen it on on deer and stuff too so i think more than anything is just getting getting an extra age you know an extra year of them on them and uh and some good moisture, but I think it could absolutely happen with how bad everything was this last year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we've got to be optimistic looking forward, and obviously we can't uh, judge or predict what any kind of moisture is is going to do, uh, you know, from February on. Um, you know, you can look at models and charts and what have you, but it's still anybody's guess. Um but it sounds like, and from the other guys I've talked to as well, it sounds like, you know, overall a lot of tank water, um, lot, you know, a lot of water around, so they're not really scrounging around for water. And, and decent feed, um, you know, decent moisture in the fall to, to, to have some of that older feed and what have you. Um, so definitely we're not sitting in a situation where it's like, oh, this is a horrible drought, like you've got to really watch it. Would you guys agree with that, or am I wrong? No, I think I'd agree, um, you know, and, and, and something else to think about for, for people out there that have a lot of bonus points, and we've talked about the point guard, um, you know, I think those people with a lot of po points, and especially the people that turned in tags this last year, um, you know, I would definitely wait till the very last minute um, to apply just to, you know, hopefully we do get a little bit of extra moisture um, you know, once you use that point guard, you know, if you used it last year, you're not going to be able to use it this year and you'll be, you'll be stuck. Um, you know, and that'd be, you know, you get 15, 22 points or something like that and you start wasting, wasting tags. I mean, it could still very well be a, you know, a mediocre year or an average year. Um, right. if, if you're wanting to hunt elk on the best year possible, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd wait till February 12th to, to make your decision. Um, and also be, you know, calling whatever outfitter you have in mind or if you're going to use one or whatever, but, you know, get opinions of, you know, a lot of people. So, Yeah, I mean, Bob, I think you bring up a good point, and it's something that I do every year. Um, right about the time that, you know, like right now when I'm gearing up to go to Mexico, I'm just getting flooded with, you know, people wanting to know this, that, and the other about, you know, points and, you know, where should I apply and this and that and, you know, just wanting my advice. I'm not even guiding in Arizona for elk next year, but, um, you know, just getting my advice. And I always tell them, let me get back from Mexico and I'll have a couple weeks there, the first two weeks of February, and we can really go over it. And they're like, well, I, I want to get it in, you know, early. And I, I can't agree with you more. Like, there's no, 
in my mind, other than just checking it off your list and getting it done, uh, there, there's really no reason that I see to apply, in my opinion, in January. Now, if you have business obligations where you're going out of the country or whatever, but I would wait into February to see and collect as much data as you can uh, as to, you know, man, storm after storm after storm, you know, started hitting and, and, you know, it's like you've got a good sense of where we will be or where we'll be at. And, um, you, you know, I think, I think that's a great point to push it into February as much as possible. Yep, absolutely. I tell, tell all my guys to do the same thing. You know, I leave for Mexico for three weeks and, and we'll get, we'll get together and chat at the end of January and into, into February and we'll start looking at stuff and, and make decisions then. But I mean, Right now, there's there's no sense in rushing anything in our opinion. Yeah, for sure. Okay, guys, um, let's dive into these regulations. The elk and antelope regs have come out. Now, I don't know if the actual hard copies are out, but I know that they're online. Guys can go to the azgfd.gov um, to uh, see these uh, application or see the uh, regulations uh, and kind of start figuring out what they want to do. Um, let's go over the units that you guys like to cover and if there's any changes, uh, you know, up or down in, in, you know, tag allocations or dates or in, any new hunts or anything scratched, uh, let's just kind of uh, go over it. I'll let you guys um, kind of lead the way with the uh, elk units that you guys like to hunt. All right, thanks. Um, as far as, like, major changes or stuff that it really stands out or maybe – a hunt that's, you know, before a, a firearm hunt that's before the archer or something like that. There's nothing that has really, really piqued interest, like say the Seven West muzzleloader tag that was before the archery last year or something like that. Um, just haven't seen anything that is fantastic. The the where we guide, you know, the eight, nine, ten, seven West. Um, it's all pretty consistent with what it is last year. One thing I, I'm encouraged by, though, is there's not a, a big increase in tag numbers anywhere either. Um, it seems like they're keeping them down, uh, which is encouraging. Um, and even the cow numbers are, are down in a couple. Like on those early archery hunts, uh, there's going to be a few less cow hunters in there, which is you know, much needed in a lot of those units. Um, yeah, for sure. Pat, you brought up something I, I want to make sure I don't forget. I remember last year they had that seven West hunt. I don't know if it was, I don't remember if it was rifle or muzzleloader, but it was before the archery season. And then two weeks, uh, the archery season in essence was pushed back a week. And I think the year before that it was in unit 27. This year it's over in 3C. Um, but before we get into it, last year, what do you know about that Seven West uh, firearm season that went before the archery? Number one, did, you know, did anything big get shot that you heard of? And then number two, uh, did you hear anything about how that hunt was affected by uh, bumping back a week, maybe being pushed more into the rut, but getting pressure? How did that go for the archers? A two-part question there. Uh, so we had a client for the muzzleloader tag. Uh, that started before the archery, and we actually turned that tag in like two or three days before the hunt started. Um, reason being is a lot about what we talked about earlier. Um, weak top ends, uh, already saw a couple bulls that were broke, weren't seeing a whole lot of, that would lead us to believe we were going to have a good rut. One problem with those hunts is it's early, 
and it's only you know seven days long. So it's not like you have the archery where the first week might not be so good, and then they're going to get fired up. It's a condensed amount of time, and when they get pushed forward like that, you're taking a chance that they might not rut. The bigger bulls might not show up and take those cows, um, and that was consistent with what was seen and how that uh, performed as far as what we were concerned with. Um, we were still up there during that hunt, and there were some good bulls taken. You know, there were some 350-type bulls taken. Um, I think there was a couple um, on their on their own type hunters that uh, killed some nice bulls, but there wasn't really anything that was really, really big. And Southern West did get better moisture than I would say a lot of the other units last year, but it still wasn't, you know, fantastic in any way. So we ended up turning that in. And then the other thing is when you have those firearm hunts before the archers, those guys, those archers go in there, and a lot of those bulls and cows have, have been shot at. They, they're aware of what's going on. Um, they've been called to a whole lot in that week's time period. And that can be a little bit of a problem for the archers too. Um, so guys just definitely really need to be aware of, you know, that can be a great hunt or it can be something that it's almost like a trap hunt, you know. Like if it was a college basketball game, you're going into a weaker opponent and then you think you're going to kill them, you know, it can be kind of a trap for, for guys. Yeah, I, I, I think that's very well said. I think, um, you know, on a, on a great moisture year, on a, on a year when there's a lot of feed and the elk are feeling really good, depending on where that um, firearm hunt rotates, like this year it's 3C, um, like I feel if it rotated into a 9 or rotated into a 10, that I think probably those guys could probably take advantage of that unless it was a rough year, a drought year, where the rut's kind of lackluster, the bulls aren't really interested in the cows. But, you know, interested in you guys' take, I've seen it on years where it's, you know, really good feed and, you know, actually before the season been able to see some really good bulls actually checking some cows, not necessarily maybe really fully running with the cows, but definitely they're around. But it seems like on those drought years, um, they just really don't show any interest till really, you know, later in September. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things. And a lot of people, when they're scouting, uh, it's, it seems to be a common mistake. When guys are scouting for stuff, they're just looking for bulls. They're looking for bulls. They're trying to keep tab on, on a big bull here or there, and they've got cameras around, and they kind of lose track of what the cows are doing and where the cows are at. And if the cows are, if they're not in good shape, if they're not good health, if they don't have good feed, they don't have good water, you know, they're not going to kick last year's calves off yet, um, and that's going to delay the rut. That's going to delay um, any sign of the rut for those big bulls. They're not going to smell them. They're not really going to pay attention. And then, you know, you and I have talked several times about, you know, the big wide bull that traveled by 36 miles, and we found him a day later 36 miles south. When those bulls, when they, when they get that sign of that rut, they're moving, and they're going to go, and there's not really much we can do about it. But if they don't, if they don't get that, that, that hint of a rut, they're not going anywhere, and they're just going to remain to themselves. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about the archery, the early archery hunt specifically. You mentioned 8, 9, and 10, and 7 west. Um, those are areas you like to focus, and feel free to add in any of those units. This year, that uh, season date uh, is uh, September 13th through the 26th. Um, and the interesting thing, I don't know if you guys 
seen it yet, but the full moon is actually on September 14th. Um, so w before we talk about the specific units, my first question would be, how do you feel with the full moon being that opening weekend of those archery hunts? How do you think, if, if you know, with your experience, what does that tell you that opening weekend is going to be? You know, it might be pretty tough still, um, you know, early on in the rut. Um, with that full moon could still be pretty tough. Um, but it definitely, you know, says that I think that the later part of that hunt, that second week of that hunt could be really good. Uh, yeah, I agree. Rut, I agree. Um, later in the rut with a, a, a waning moon and stuff could be, you know, pretty darn good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we've got 8, 9, and 10, and 7 west, and you guys throw in any other units. Um, GoHunt.com Insider hasn't updated their uh, draw odds yet, but I'm going off last year. Like Unit 8, as a resident, it took 9 points. As a non-resident, it took 13 Unit 9 uh, last year uh, took 14 as a resident, 20 as a non-resident. Unit 10 took 12 uh, as a resident, uh, excuse me, 12 as a, as a resident, 18 as a non-resident. Um, do you see those numbers going up or down, or do you think they'll remain relatively the same? I think they'll probably be pretty dang close to the same. Um, you know, I don't think there's, in, in most of those units listed there, there hasn't been a whole lot of point creep, you know, um, over the last couple of years. It might have gone up, you know, one or two over the last five or something, but I expect them to be, you know, nothing real significant. Um, yeah, shoot, I, I just, yeah, I don't see them, I don't see like a, you know, a unit eight hunt taking, having to take ten points to draw um, this next year. I, I think that'll be, you know, still right at nine. When you, when you look at, you know, Unit 9, 20 non-resident points to draw Unit 9, um, obviously these are last year's numbers, and then 18 to draw Unit 10, do you guys really feel that there's a two-point difference between 9 and 10? And conversely, you know, 13 as a non-resident to draw Unit 8, do you really think that there's a, you know, a six-point or a five-point difference? Well, there's there's a seven-point difference between 8 and 9, and then there's a five-point difference between 8 and 10. Talk a little bit about that. Um, if you're a non-resident, you know, in that, you know, 12, 13, 14 range, do you wait six, seven, eight more years or, or longer, or do you go ahead and take a 7 West or an 8 and, you know, maybe hunt uh, in a span of 20 years, you hunt, you know, three or four more times as opposed to maybe once, maybe twice? Ah, it's, it's tough, you know. Um, as far as, you know, the comparison between 9 and 10, I, I don't think that there's that big of a comparison. Uh, the two-point thing, to, it's, it's really not that big big of a deal. Um, the, 10, the 10 stuff, there's a couple things you've got to be aware of, right? There's ample opportunity to get up in glass and, and see a lot of country in Unit 10. But at the same time, the bokeh every other year seems to be an issue at, at the very last minute or going into the last bit of the draw. Is it going to be open? Is it going to be closed? What's the fee going to be? Personally, if I had if I had the 10 tag, I would probably pay the fee um, just because it does keep some people out. But if I was going to have a choice between the two tags, you know, it, to me, it, it's, it's a flip of a coin. I love both of them. Now, when you start talking about the 8 and the 10 stuff, um, I, I like to get out and hunt. 
So I'm going to take the opportunity to go hunt. You know, last year we hunted some really, really good bulls in Unit 8, um, bulls that, you know, you would kill in either 9 or 10 or 7 West probably the first weekend. Um, it's, it can be a little bit of a difficult hunt just because it's a little bit further south. It can be hotter. The rut can start a little bit later. But there's still some really, really good bulls in there. Um, so, you know, to me, it's really preference. You know, some guys, they've got time. They've been applying for, you know, 10 years in their 40s, so they've got a little bit of time. And then we've got some guys that are 65, and they've got, you know, 18 points, and, you know, they're not going to draw another tag, most likely. So it's probably best for those guys to wait and hold out for that, but just a little bit better tag. Yeah, and, you know, something you bring up about Unit 8 that's always just so interesting to me is, as long as I can remember, Unit 8 has always had a couple good bulls in it, but it's always had the reputation of being a very tough and finicky unit in that it seems like up high in the pines there's, you know, a lot of roads and a lot of people and a lot of, you know, campers and just, just people messing with them and what have you. And then you've got some of the stuff down low and the junies and such. And, you know, they can be a little bit hard to find. It's a little hard to see out there. Um, but it, it's always a unit that it just seems like there's always a good bull being chased. Um, but I do know people that have put in for it that have also, you know, struggled big time and, you know, not been able to find, uh, you know, many pockets of bulls bugling. Can you speak to the finicky um, reputation that that unit has? And maybe you guys disagree. So feel free to, you know, tell me what you think. No, you know, totally, totally agree there. Um, we had a good friend of ours draw it in, I'm pretty sure it was 2012, and had just a phenomenal hunt. Um, was in big bulls every single day, you know, bulls that are three, seven year better. Um, and just, just a great hunt, you know. So the next year, me and another guy, we ended up cashing in points. I'm pretty sure it was 13 when we did it, but it was just the following year, and it was, an awful hunt. Um, it was it was so bad we couldn't we couldn't turn anything up good. Um, and then you know the, a couple years ago was real good again. Um, last year we had we had a client in there last year hunting with one of our good guys that you know a local guy here that knows Unit Eight super well. Um, and they had they had a fantastic hunt despite the drought conditions, and, I mean, it just kind of seemed like everybody else was doing, you know, real poorly, and, and they were in, you know, good bulls for last year, especially, you know, 350, 360-type bulls, um, you know, just about every single day. Um, it is a very finicky unit, um, you know, with a lot of recreationalists um, all summer long, um, and, and why it's like that and why you get a really good year you know, one year and a bad year the next, I don't think I have a clue, and I don't think you can pinpoint it, but it's definitely a unit that produces some really big bulls sometimes. Um, and I think a lot of that stuff, too, especially the lower stuff, um, it kind of depends on who draws tags. Um, you know, you'll be down there some years, and, and you'll have the whole place to yourself, and other years it's, you know, a little bit of a circus. So, um, yeah, it is, it is very finicky, but... You catch it on a good year, and it can be, it can be just as good as any one of the other top tier units that um, you know everybody always talks about. 
Let's let's talk about Unit Nine. Um, you know, obviously, it's been the crown jewel of Arizona elk hunting for a long, long time. I want to get both of you's opinion on Unit Nine, the the, the health and well-being of Unit Nine, the current condition of Unit Nine, uh, the trend of Unit Nine. Which direction is it going? Um, you know, how is the bull quality? You know, how do you how do you guys see that overall unit? How how is it doing? Um. You know, I was last up there on that late rifle hunt, and, you know, as far as the late rifle hunt goes this year, it, we did well, and, and we had a really good time, and we hunted, you know, decent, unbroke bulls pretty much every day. Um, you know, that 320, 340 type bull, um, and, and you did not only hunt, that, that's, you, you know, you're, you're going to kill that bull almost every single time. Um, the worst up there right now is good. It got snowed when we were up there. It snowed a couple more times since we were there. Uh, before the hunt, during the scouting, tanks that had not had water for a long time uh, that I haven't seen with water, you know, for maybe a couple years, uh, they hold water now because the rancher and the game and fish, they went in and they restored some of the silt beds on some of those dry dirt tanks to where they'll actually hold a good amount of water again. Um, so as far as that stuff goes, it looks good. I'm anticipating a better year than last year. Um, I really enjoy hunting Unit 9. It, it's still a very special place when you consider a lot of those elk have peace and solitude to the north with the park, to the east, and to the west with the Indian reservations. You know, they can get out and they can get away and they can be solitary like they like to be for most of the year until the rut. Um, so I'm really looking forward to what seeing what Unit 9 does. I, one one thing that I have noticed is I think that the age class in Unit Nine is definitely coming down. Um, it, it's it's almost you know I, I hate to be pessimistic about it, but it's almost like sinking um, for one reason or another. It, it's it's the age class is definitely being taken down in that unit, um, and I think for a couple couple reasons. You know the advancements in long range shooting, the advancements in muzzleloader. Uh, what guys can do with mobile loaders now. Uh, archery equipment is its just mind-boggling how far we've come in 15, 20 years when, you know, there's nowhere else you would ever apply than Unit 9 if you had any amount of points. Um, I don't necessarily feel like it's the crown jewel anymore. I, I really don't. It's still a great spot, and I hope to find myself in there, you know, every other year. Um, but I think, you know, like for us, we're going to head to 23 with uh, early rifle hunter that's at max points, and we're hoping he drives over there. Um, but it's still, you know, I mean, it's still a unit nine tag, Jay. <laughs> so yeah. it's still worth, you know, applying for. It's still worth having, you know, high expectations for. For sure. Yeah. Go ahead, there, Jay. Um, yep. You know, Pat mentioned something about, you know, age class and stuff, and I think, I think that could be said for, you know, kind of statewide, too. I don't think that's just a, a Unit 9 thing. Um, you know, Pat, Pat touched on, you know, the advancements and technology and everything else, and I don't really see it correlating with – I feel like hunters are being, becoming way, way more efficient at getting things killed, and I don't see it any correlation with, you know, uh, the tag numbers. I just feel like we're killing way more bulls now than we were, you know, 10 years ago, but there's, there's still the same number of tags. Um, I think that just the age class is down statewide, especially in a lot of these units where you have, you know, three to 
600 late rifle tags. Um, and just, man, those, those bulls got to run the gauntlet and, and get pretty dang lucky to get any age on them anymore. Um, you know, maybe it's opening up a can of worms, but I would love to see Arizona do a, a mandatory harvest report like, yep. like Nevada does to just be able to keep track of this a little bit better. Um, and who's killing bulls and, um, you know, age class of bulls and, and, you know, tooth samples and everything else. I think there's a lot of little things that the game and fish can do to, to really help improve some of these units. Um, and that's, you know, statewide. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's well said. Uh, let's talk about unit 10. Uh, same question, you know, which direction is it going? How does it look? Uh, how do you anticipate this season going? Um, well, I, I really like what they've done the last couple of years with the decrease in tags on the archery as well as the early rifle tags. Um, so that is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, that being said, Unit 10, traditionally, like 15 years ago, I would have rather had a Unit 10 tag than a Unit 9 tag. And then the last few years before they started decreasing tags, it, for me personally, it was kind of like, man, there's, there's just too many tags. There's too many early rifle tags. I think at one point there was like 150, 125, somewhere in there. And then they throw that muzzleloader tag in there in early November, and then three to 500 late rifle tags. So it was really taking a pounding. That being said, I really feel like it's we're going to start to see that the effects of the decreased tags for the last two years prior to this year. I'm hopeful that we'll see a, a bit of a rebound. So, you know, we're going to have bulls that were – about three-ish when they had, you know, high tag numbers. Now they're getting five, six-ish. Um, if they were able to run the gauntlet of the, the late tags, we're going to start to see some bulls put on some age, which can really help that unit. Um, and that, that can be a really fun, fun unit when, when things are going good because you can get up and you can glass and you can see a lot of bulls in the morning and figure out which one, you know, which one, you know, you like, which one you want to go hunt. You want to stick on it and, and go for it. Um, and I think you're definitely going to see something with the Mokias as far as if, if, you're, if you're buying the pass to go on there, I think it's a good idea. I really do. You're going to, it does eliminate some people from, from hunting. For whatever reason, they like it, they don't like it. Um, it, it does keep people out, and that is a big key for any of these hunts is to get away from people. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, my take on the Bokeas thing, um, you know, I'm, I feel like we're just fortunate to get to hunt it, uh, you know, pay or no pay. Uh, the reality is it is still open to the public. You do have to pay a small fee. But when you compare, you know, whatever it is, 60 bucks or, I don't know, maybe even 100 bucks. I don't even know what it is. But it's a, it's a relatively nominal fee, in my opinion, compared to what you get. If you go do the same thing in Colorado or New Mexico or Utah, to be able to hunt a 500,000-acre ranch or however big it is, I think it's roughly 500,000 acres, um, you know, you're going to be paying tens of thousands of dollars. And granted, you don't, you're not paying $100 or 60 bucks or whatever it is to go hunt it, and it's exclusive. But with that being said, you know, I, I can't believe that people get a Unit 10 tag and don't pay the fee. And I understand that if they're not paying it because they don't agree with it, like, I get that, but I don't understand how they can't get past it, just pay the fee and be able to, you know, hunt on one of the best ranches in the country 
and, and, and be able to chase elk for a very, very nominal fee. Just because you used to hunt it for zero doesn't mean that 100, in my mind, makes it where you just decide not to go. Um, obviously, I don't want to get into politics and get, get too crazy, but that's my opinion. You, what you get for a small nominal fee uh, is, you know, at times, phenomenal hunting. I remember the last time uh, that I actually had a tag was 2005, and it was an absolute banner year as far as moisture, and I was in Unit 10, and it was off the charts good. I mean, that's the last year that I can say that it was, you know, that was like the wonder years. I think we can see that again, but I think, like you said, we hit a period of time there where for about, you know, 10 years or so, they really ramped the tags up, and at one time having, you know, 100 or more early rifle uh, tags to right during the peak of the rut, I mean, you're just knocking age class down like crazy, um, and then I think the last handful of years, uh, you know, we finally saw all the effects of those tag increases, and then the last two years with the tag decreases, I think there could, you know, it it's always goes up too much and down too much, and it seems like the, the next couple of years could be, uh, you know, if, if the right moisture conditions, some hunters are going to be able to reap the benefit of potentially those decrease in numbers and maybe see a little bit more of that 05-type action that we've seen before. I mean, I remember in 05, I mean, there was literally a different type of 370-type bull almost every day that you're like, where did he come from? And, you know, multiple bulls that were, you know, pushing, you know, 390 up into the 400 range. And to me, I would just love to see our whole state kind of get back to that. Um, you know, maybe that's me being selfish, wanting to have, you know, super high quality hunts. And I'm willing to sit on, you know, last tag I drew was 05. So here we are, sit you know, 2018, 13 years later, um, I'm perfectly fine knowing that, you know, I'm sitting on 15 bonus points and one of these years um, I'll, I'll be able to cash back in but probably have a quality hunt. So, um, guys, I want to ask you about the late archery hunts in the units that you guys like to hunt as well because, uh, you know, like if, if you take uh, last year, unit 8 was 6 points for late archery, 9 points as a non-resident, um, and unit nine was five points as a resident and six as a non five points as a resident in unit 10. Uh, and I actually don't, I didn't write down what the number was in 10, but, um, how is that late archery hunt? I believe there's like 30 tags in each unit. Um, how is that hunt? How can it be? What are the, what are the pluses and minuses of that late archery hunt? Um, you know, we really like it personally. Um, Pat's looking at it right now. I guess there's there's a hundred of them up in Unit Nine this year. Um, but but that hunt, I think it's it's got to be for the right person. Um, you know, it can be it can be really good for sitting water if if it's dry. Um, if we get some snow or some rain, you know, in October and November um, before that hunt starts, it's going to be pretty dang tough um, for guys that can't get out and and you know hunt. Um, but I think there's, you know, a lot of those bulls are pushing off into some canyons and some places that you can actually spot and stalk them, um, you know, with a, with a spotter and, um, you can do really well. Um, we killed a couple of really nice bulls on it a, a couple of years ago. Um, the last time we actually hunted it, me and my brother, um, but they're, they're good for the right people. Um, the guys that are willing to get out and, 
and get after it and, and be able to hike some hills and go, spend some time behind glass um, and sneak around some of those hills. I mean, I think they can be really good for guys. Um, you know, there's, it can, like I said, it could be good for sitting water, but man, once you get a little bit of weather and stuff, it can be, it can be really, really tough on if you're, you're going to, you know, put all your eggs in the water sitting basket. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the late rifle hunts, uh, you know, generally for those eight, nine, ten units, you know, you're looking at, you know, seven to nine points, depending on whether you're a resident or non-resident. And um, I'm looking forward to go hunt inside. It's supposed to be this week here, the first week of January, coming out with, with all the new data. And I'm interested to look and see how anything changes from last year or what have you. Um, but these late rifle hunts, in specifically in those units, have gotten they're pretty dang tough pat you said you were on a unit nine hunt and had a had a pretty darn good hunt hunting bulls that were unbroken um talk a little bit about the the late rifle hunts in these units so i think the key to these late rifle hunts is being consistent with if you're able to get out and scout and you're able to to put some work in before and locate some bulls it really is being consistent, and that can be really, really tough on these hunts because, to be honest with you, most of the time when you're scouting, you're not running into people, and you're not seeing people, and you'll see you know, a good amount of bulls, maybe a couple bulls that you'd really like to, to try and harvest, and then Thursday evening, you have a 1,000 people in the unit because there's 500 tags, and everybody brings two buddies up there to help them, and there's just not enough room for all the people that end up on these hunts. So it's really important that guys are consistent and they p stay persistent in, in what their plan is and coming up with a good plan and really sticking to it, toughing it out, you know, dealing with the, all the weekend warriors that are going to be up there helping their buddies. you got to remember, Sunday night, most of those guys are going to go home, and then the, the hunt is really going to pick up Monday through that Thursday. And then the other thing is, like for us, Unit 9, it can be a tough unit. So you, you kind of have to be able to adapt with what, what you're seeing. And if you're not able to glass the base and you're not able to the glass the west side, you've got to start walking fingers and doing kind of like old school hunting is what I would say, where, guys, you got your tens around your neck and you're walking real tight ridges, real tight fingers, and you're just paying it, just going real, real slow, paying super close attention. You know, you're looking for an ear twitch at 200 yards on the other side of the ridge, and it's going to be a tight shot. Um, being consistent and really grinding them out. If guys can do that and, and they're willing to put in that work with the guide that they have, they're more likely than not they're going to be successful. Um, I'll let Bob kind of touch on the Unit 8 hunt this last year. Those guys were down there, and they, they had a really good hunt. Yeah, we had, we had a couple of guys um, down there in Unit 8, and we scouted a few bulls, and, and like Pat said, is we, we just stayed really consistent. Um you know, despite everybody running around and and uh, driving and running ridges, and it gets it gets crazy on those hunts. But we kind of had the same game plan, and we were going to do that same exact plan all seven days. Um, luckily, it didn't take that long. We killed we killed a really nice bull on Friday morning after the fog lifted, and then uh, killed another bull on I believe it was Monday. No, Sunday. We killed another bull on Sunday. Um, mid morning or so, and and got out of there. But it was, you know, like like I said, we got lucky that it it happened on the first three days versus 
um, versus, you know, the last day, because I know it, it'd get tough to do the same plan over and over for, for seven days. Um, and we also had, we had a guy up in, in Seven West that hunted with one of our guys, um, and they had, you know, an awesome hunt in, in really tough conditions, um, lots of snow and weather and wind. Um, really, really cold, but they ended up grinding it out and, and killed a really good bull. Um, I believe they killed that bull on Monday. Um, but yeah, like Pat said, it's just, it's just being persistent, um, and hunting as hard as you can all day long. Um, there's so many people out there that will go hunt for a couple hours in the morning and, and because the morning hunt is over, they just go back to camp and that's not the way, not the way to do it on those late hunts with, with all the people running around, there's bulls always running around and changing locations um, throughout the day. But just being very, very persistent on those hunts will, I think, yield a lot of success. I think that's a great tip. Guys, I want to take a second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com and my friend Cody Nelson. I call him the glassing guru. He is the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com, the gear shop. If you have any binocular needs, any optics, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, you can give them a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. That's optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, for their sponsorship of my podcast. That's the gear that I wear. Uh, you can go to their website at KUIU.com and check them out. Uh, I want to thank Canyon Coolers based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you guys use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there at Canyon Coolers. And they make uh, great coolers from all sizes. I'm actually getting ready to load up the big Navigator cooler, which you can actually fit four elk quarters in. Uh, that's the cooler I'm going to use to take all my stuff down to Mexico. I want to thank Canyon Coolers for their sponsorship. Uh, Phonescope.com, use the JScott18 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount uh, on all orders. That's what I use for the photos and videos on my Instagram. Uh, make sure to use that JScott18 promo code. And then OnxMaps.com, use the JScott18 promo code to get the 20% discount on Onyx Maps. I've uh, talked a lot about Onyx Maps. It's the best uh, mapping hunt app out there. I use it on my desktop and on my phone. Guys, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, uh, and you didn't know it was coming, but I would like each one of you to rank your uh, top five archery units. I'm not talking about points. I'm just talking about uh, if, if you could have, I'm going to say your top three to five, you pick it, uh, in, in order, personally, which uh, units would you like to have yourself? You know, personally, I think, I think I would do both of the 23s, you know, one and two, probably the south, um, the first one, and then uh, the north as my second choice. Um, and then, honestly, I think I would do um, unit eight. Um, just for, you know, for me, it's, it's so close to home. Um, you know, we spend a bunch of time in there scouting. Um, and I, like we touched on earlier, Unit 8 produces, you know, not just, I mean, it's got the ability to produce not just like a big bull, but, you know, a freak-type bull. Um, 
there was a lot of years there where, um, man, I mean, not just, you know, the 400s and stuff, but the, the 440s. Um, and I think there's still, you know, maybe is there a 440 in there right now? I, I would say no, but I think on a really good year, you could get, you know, a really big bull down there somewhere. Um, and, you know, just being so close to home, I'd be able to spend a lot of time, a lot of time hunting it. I know a lot of people will disagree with that as being the number three choice, but um, for me personally, that's, I would definitely take it. Okay. You, and, Pat? You know, for me, I, I would probably, I would probably still go with unit nine just because I know the unit um, and I, I really enjoy hunting there. It's just far enough to keep a lot of recreational people out of the way. Um, but I, I really enjoy the hunt up there. Uh, and then I'd follow that up with 23, and then like Bob, I, I would put Unit 8 in there. Um, that's kind of, I grew up hunting in Unit 8, and I love it. Um, I got pushed out of there because of the increased tag numbers, and, you know, obviously that, that is the same for a lot of people, but you know, I just agree with what Bob said. You never know what you're going to find in there, and I've been fortunate enough to kill you know, a number of good bulls out of Unit 8 um, before all the, the tag number stuff, and I'm hoping one day it'll get back to where it was. All right, let's talk antelope. Um, I know you, you guys like antelope. I'll let you guys um, take the floor with antelope, uh, talk about some of the units that you like, uh, some of the units that you guys guide, and then once we finish up, uh, going to give you a chance to let the listeners know how they can get, you know, talk to you guys more um, about, about some of these different hunts. So take the floor on antelope. All right. So uh, to, to me, I think the antelope is probably one of the funnest hunts that a guy can do in the state of Arizona. Uh, it's a hunt that you can, you can consistently see animals all day long and you can really take your time and find a good buck, um, you know, 80 plus, on most hunts because, let's face it, in the state of Arizona, the opportunity for antelope is decreasing with the expansion of a lot of the home sites and developments that are going on in northern Arizona. Um, we're seeing less and less tags, but for the lucky few hunters that do draw those tags, it's a phenomenal experience. Uh, and like I said, you, you start hunting, you know, first, first light, and you do not end all day. Um, they rutted well this last year. Um, which made it a whole lot of fun on the archery hunts because you just never really knew what was going to show up. And we spent most of the, the archery hunts in 19B, which is can be tricky. It, you know, there's no other way to say it. It can be tricky because of access issues and private land, but there's still good bucks to hunt on public land and state checkerboard land that you can walk in. Um, and... We had a, a phenomenal time. We hunted a couple really big bucks, and then we ended up, uh, we helped a, a buddy of ours that had the muzzleloader tag in 19B kill one of the big bucks we were after. Um, and then uh, another buddy of ours, his mom had a 19B tag at archery and went up north and killed a, another really good buck. Um, so for me, I really enjoy hunting the 19s. Um, obviously, it's right here next to, to our, our home. And it's easy for us to get out and watch these animals throughout the year. There's a lot of guys that, that really enjoy this unit. It's hard to draw. There's only five archery tags this year. There's two hunts. It's combined um, with 17B and 19B. And there's an earlier hunt and then a later hunt. The early hunt starts on August 9th. And like I say, there's five in that. 
and then the second hunt starts on August 23rd, and it runs through September 5th. Um, if guys are going to apply for those, you're going to need a lot of points to draw that tag. I think last year guys were starting to draw it with like 18 points. There was a random guy that drew it with six points that we ended up killing a nice buck with in the archery hunt, and that was the first hunt. If guys are going into that and they want to draw that, they really need to put in for either the archery tag and preferably the first hunt or the muzzleloader tag. Um, one thing I would caution every hunter that's considering a rifle tag is the 19B rifle tag can be really difficult because most of the big bucks are killed either with the archery tag or with the muzzleloader tag. The advancements in muzzleloader hunting have come so far in the last five years. I think that the Game and Fish really needs to consider flip-flopping to give the rifle hunters the opportunity to go after the archery. Um, so that's something to be aware of as far as the 19s go. 19A, kind of same thing with B. There's private land issues, but there's still plenty of land to hunt. Um, it's, you know, guys get upset with ranchers and landowners charging fees, but you know, then they go out there and spend $1,500 on, on camo that really isn't going to improve their success rate at all, but they're not willing to spend, you know, 250 bucks to walk in on a piece of land. Um, so just know that before you go into this. Do your research. Give us a call. Whoever you're going to hunt with, call them and find out, hey, am, am I going to have land access issues? And if it's, if it's a possibility and you don't like that, if you disagree with it, whatever the case may be, don't put in for that because there's nothing that can ruin a hunt more than finding out that you drew a premier tag, but most of the big animals are going to be on private land, and you may have access to it, but you're going to have to spend a little bit of money. Um, so that's definitely a possibility with both those. Um, and then I really enjoy the, the Unit 10 rifle tag. That's a, still a great tag. Um, tag numbers are kind of stand right around 65 for that on the rifle. Um, and every year there's good bucks that are killed on that. I really enjoy that hunt. It's kind of a, a, a fun hunt. You can scout a number of different bucks in different areas and kind of have A, B, C type thing and, and just figure out what you want to do there. Um, and then one thing that I think that gets overlooked is the Unit 8 muzzleloader tag. But let me be clear that if you're going to put in for that Unit 8 muzzleloader tag, the uh, antelope muzzleloader tag, you need to apply for the first tag the one that starts September 6th through the 15th, and that can run into the elk hunt. So if a guy draws an elk tag, you know, he may cut himself short if he draws an antelope tag too. Um, those are kind of just a couple that I really enjoy. Um, I also really think that 5B is, you know, like most people, that, that can be a really fantastic tag. But 5B archery and the Unit 10 archery, they're good. You're going to hunt big bucks, but they, they can be... They, those are challenging hunts. Um, I think with the lack of people that are seen on the Bokeas throughout the year, you know, they don't start really seeing a whole lot of people until they open it up to scouting in the early part of August. So those antelope aren't seeing a lot of people, not like they are in 19B, 19A. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people running around. They're pretty skittish. So that, that archery hunt can be tough. Um, so guys need to be aware of that. But also on the archery hunt, those are such curious critters that they can, be, they can be killed on water, they can be killed with decoys, they can be killed by flagging them. You know, you get behind a bush and they catch your attention or you catch their attention and you kind of pop up that decoy, there's a good chance that they're going to come check out and see what that decoy is um, if the rut's going well. 
good stuff. Um, if if I put you on the spot and said your your top three hunts, you know, whether it be firearm, archery, your, you know, if you, if I could give you three tags in order, which which three would you say are would be your favorite? For me, I would take the the 19B archery tag first hunt, um, and then I would go with the the 19A and unit 10 rifle tag. And I would even put the 5B rifle tag in there. We've got a buck in 5B that lives like in a, at a pretty remote spot. Uh, one of our guys found this last year, actually, while he was looking for something else. And uh, he, he kind of seems like a baby giant. Like he's got everything that makes a big buck later on. If he can just get – we're really excited to see what he looks like this next year because he was a, a good buck last year, and we've seen him since all the hunts have been, been closed out. And I'm really excited to see what that buck looks like. So I'd say 19B archery and then, honestly, 19A, unit 10, and 5B rifle. They're all kind of the same to me. And that's the thing, too, with antelope. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, they can be a big buck at three years old. They don't necessarily have to be like, you know, elk and such. I mean, you know, three, four years old, you can get some big bucks. So it doesn't take that. They can go from zero to a hundred pretty quick, you know, as far as you're using a speedometer as, a, as an analogy, correct? Yeah, I would totally agree. And, you know, last year with the drought, I, to be honest with you, I kind of expected to have a, a little bit more of a down year with the antelope than what we had. There were still a good number of, you know, mid-80s to high-80s bucks that were taken, um, so I'm really excited to see what happens this year now that we've got a little bit more moisture. One thing that was cool this last year was maybe there wasn't the amount of, you know, length, but guys got to remember length is not everything on, on, a, on an antelope. You're looking for mass. And there were some bucks with some really good mass, and also there were some bucks with some great prongs, really, really neat bucks out there this last year. So I'm excited to see what those bucks that, that made it through this year uh, look like for 2019. Good stuff, guys. I really appreciate you coming on and talking. Uh, Bob, if you have anything to add to that antelope, feel free. Um, I want to give you guys a chance not only to tell the listeners uh, how they can follow you, how they can find you, but also want to give you a chance if you have any final concluding thoughts, uh, anything you want to get off your chest or just, uh, you know, anything in general, feel free to do that. And uh, make sure you let people know where they can find you. I'll also link that up in the show notes. So the floor is yours. Yeah, yeah, no, we thank, uh, thank you for having us. Um, you know, if, if anybody's got any, you know, any more questions or just want to call and chat, um, they can, you know, probably best is, is Instagram, really. Um, you can DM us a, a message or, or whatever. Um, you can also find us and our numbers on our website, um, shadowvalleyoutfitters.com, and, and the Instagram is, is at shadowvalleyoutfitters. Um, Pat and I both love Love talking hunting and, and uh, give you as much time as you need. We want to get everybody um, squared away and confident with, with their draws and, and draws and, and everything else. So um, definitely willing to, to take some time and, and chat with everybody. You know, the only thing I would say is that it seems like more often than not when guys are calling and they're looking, if they haven't talked to someone that they feel comfortable with before they draw, when they go in and they're looking for a guide or somebody that wants to help them, you know, they're definitely going to be skeptical about what they're getting. So my recommendation to whoever it is out there that, that's listening 
is talk to people before the draw comes up and find out what units they really work in because there's a lot of guys on social media, you'll see big pictures of animals, and then you draw a tag and you hope that they work in that unit and then, you know, come to find out they don't. Or like in our case, you know, we're, we don't want to book a bunch of hunters. We do it because we love it. So, you know, we don't take a whole lot of hunters. So if guys call us and they've got a bunch of points and they put in before, you know, more often than not, we're going to be with those guys. So, you know, whoever you're hunting with, call, get to know them before the draw, before you find out what tag you're getting, so you know what you're getting yourself into, you know, before you even apply. Um, but we are up on Instagram, Facebook, uh, like Bob said, a website. Um, he's, he touched it. We, we love to talk hunting, and we're willing to help anybody out there, whether they plan on hunting with us or not. They just want some pointers here or there. Um, we're more than happy to do that, too. Awesome, guys. Well, thanks so much for your time. Uh, God bless you guys. And, uh, Bobby, knock them dead down there in Mexico. Pat, are you, getting, are you going down to Mexico? No, I'm not going to Mexico this year. Uh, okay. Like, like we were talking about, we got a couple bucks uh, right around uh, the Unit 8 and 19A stuff that I would really, really, really would like to try to get an arrow into. I'm staying up here this cool. year. Cool. Well, you guys both have a great time. Um, I'll be chatting at, at you in a couple months, and uh, God bless you both, and uh, thanks for your time, okay? Yeah, thanks, Jay. Be safe down there. All right, buddy.